Hello, and welcome to the Anchor Discipleship Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help guide and grow you in your walk with the Lord by providing an in-depth study of God's Word with this lesson. So please grab your Bibles and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with this week's lesson. Page 149, Footsteps of the Messiah, very interesting topic, the rapture. We're going to look at the timing of the rapture tonight and understand why the rapture is imminent. When we mean that imminent, when we say imminent, we mean that nothing needs to happen prior to it for it to occur. So you'll hear the term in the Bible say he's coming soon. It doesn't mean like right away, timing wise. It means that his coming is imminent. There's nothing that needs to prevent it or nothing that needs to happen for it to occur. That's what that means. So we look at the timing of it. So there's a couple things. We'll start here with number one. There is no biblical passage which discusses the tribulation that the church is mentioned. And that's the first thing we have to understand. So these people who are post-tribulationists, mid-tribulationists, they have a major problem. Because the first premise on the timing of the rapture is we are not mentioned in the tribulation. So you go from Revelation 6 to 16, 17 and 18 deal with Babylon. There is no mention of the church. But here's what they'll say. Well, it says saints. It says saints. It says saints. So that must be church saints. And that is a major mistake. There's saints in the Old Testament. There's saints in the New Saints in the tribulation, and there's saints in the millennium. But just because the term saints or set-apart ones or hagiois is used, you have to know what context of saints it is. So when you're in the Old Testament and it talks about the saints, you're talking about the patriarchs or you're talking about Israel, right? You're in the New Testament, you're talking about the church saints. But then when you move into the tribulation... You're talking about tribulation saints. They're, they're not part of the church. We, we, we identify that the body of Christ is different than Israel, different than tribulation saints, different than millennial saints. So that's one of the things you'll see. So it, it, the book of Revelation, believe it or not, is your biggest proof text that the church is not in the tribulation. Because I want someone to show me where the church is mentioned, the ecclesia, from Revelation 6 to 16. And what you will see is nothing about the church. All you will see is about Israel. The 144,000. And then it talks about the woman in the desert. That's, that's clearly Israel. And so that's the first proof text that we're not in the tribulation. Okay? Second proof text on your next page, page 150, is we start getting the earliest indication of a pre-tribulational rapture and that is found in Luke 21, 34 through 37. And we want to make some special notes here. So get your pen out and I'll give you some things to write. He says this in Luke 21. But take heed to yourselves. This is obviously the Olivet Discourse in Luke 21. The Olivet Discourse covers Matthew 24, Luke 21, and Mark 13. So we're in the Olivet Discourse. But take heed to yourselves, lest happily your hearts be overcharged with suffering, uh, this is like carousing and drunkenness, and cares of this life, 
and that day come on you suddenly as a snare or unpredictably. For so shall it come upon, notice the key word, all them that dwell where? On the face of the earth. What That is a key phrase. And I want you to think about this in connection with the rapture. What is coming to this planet will affect all who are on the planet. And the key term is earth dweller. You will see this in the book of Revelation 11 times. And if you've ever done a study in the book of Revelation, one of the, an interesting study is to study the earth dwellers. It is a technical term. It means more than just, okay, all people who just live on the planet. No, 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 no. Earth dwellers means those who are on the earth during the tribulation when this judgment comes. And it goes on all of the face of the earth. I'll talk a little bit more on the earth dwellers in just a second. But watch ye every season, making supplication, that you may prevail to escape. This is, uh, or, or should be sometimes counted worthy. And the way to become worthy is to become saved. All these things that shall come to pass. Notice this. And to stand before the Son of Man. And that is another key phrase you must understand. What does it mean to stand before the Son of Man? Well, if this is coming on the earth to all earth dwellers, the only way to escape this judgment is to be counted worthy, which means salvation, and to stand before the Son of Man. Where is the Son of Man? Is he on earth? Where is he at? He's in heaven. So that term to escape this this judgment that's coming, you must stand before the Son of Man where the Son of Man is. So the idea is he's locating the presence of the Son of Man in heaven. Again, the judgment comes to the earth, to earth dwellers, so therefore if I am to escape this judgment, I must be off the planet and stand before the Son of Man in another domain or another abode, which is the third heaven. Does that make sense? This is where Jesus is going with this. You have to be off the planet to avoid the judgment. And every day he was teaching in the temple, and every night he went out and lodged in the mount that is called Olivet. Okay, so this is part of the Olivet Discourse. Okay, so no, if you're on the earth, you will not escape, is the idea. If you're on the planet, okay? So this shoots down mid-trib or post-trib types of raptures because it's coming to all the planet. Okay, let's move on to the third specific passage about pre-tribulational deliverance on page 151. The third aspect is 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, 9 through 10, and then it talks about being delivered from this wrath. For they themselves report concerning us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how you tr uh, ye turned unto God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Now watch this. Even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Okay. This is not a soteriology issue. 
Okay? This is not dealing with wrath that comes on us because of our sin. Where was that dealt with? The cross. So we're not dealing with a soteriology wrath, like before we became believers, the wrath of God abided on us. Well, he's not talking about that because if that was happening, he would point retrospectively back to the cross. He's not doing that. He is saying the wrath future to come. Now, he is not also, because it's not soteriology, he is not talking about hell. Why? Same answer. The wrath that would have sent us to hell and experience in hell has already been satisfied on the cross. So he has no, there's no reason for him to warn us about hell. He's talking to believers. So he would, Paul would never make an argument, hey, you better be careful about the wrath to come because, no, 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 because we are escaped hell. We're out of it. We're not going there. So what is he talking about? This is an eschatological wrath. A future judgment that's coming. It's not soteriology. Not dealing with our salvation because our salvation is done with. It's not being saved from hell. This is when he returns for wrath. And obviously we know what that is. It's called the Great Tribulation. Okay, so there's another clue about that deliverance. Okay? Now, move to the bottom of that page, page 151, in number four, the other passage dealing with the timing of the rapture, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 1 through 10. Now, this comes on the heels of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and first, uh, that chapter right there, in the fourth chapter, is dealing with the rapture. Okay? So then he moves from after the rapture to the wrath to come, if you follow Paul's chronological order. But, you see that word but? You put it on top of there, peri-day. P-E-R-I-D-E-I, peri-day. Peri-day in the Greek means he's introducing a new subject, a new contrast. So he's not, what he's saying is, I'm not talking about the rapture anymore, I'm talking about a new subject that's related, but it is a different subject. Jesus will use peri-day, or, sorry, the Gospels will use peri-days. Um, a lot of times as well. So anytime you see but, it's peri-day. New subject. What's the new subject, Paul? Concerning the times and seasons. What's that about? The end times. The last days. Jesus said you wouldn't know the day or hour, but notice what Paul says. He talks about seasons. Right? And times. Brethren, you have no need that anything, anything be written unto you. Why? For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord, that's the tribulation, so comes as a thief in the night. And you've heard that term. That term is not for believers. It is a term used for unbelievers. When they are saying peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall in no wise escape. Okay. What he is referring to then is that, that obviously the wrath of the great tribulation, prior to it, there'll be a, a, a peace, and we talked about this, that peace comes from a one world government breaking into ten leagues, giving people a false sense of security about the economy, security, protection, yada, yada, yada. 
and all these, these skirmishes are over, and we finally reach the utopia, and then it comes. And, and he says, no one will escape from this. The reason no one can escape from this is because they're on the planet. And if you're on the planet, you will escape. And they shall no wise escape. But ye brethren, notice this, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Notice that. It only takes unbelievers as a thief in the night. It will not take believers as a thief in the night. Why? Because you know the times and seasons. You know what to look for. For ye are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. So let us not sleep as do the rest. And there's a lot of Christians at rest, my friend. They are out to lunch in zombie land, by the way. But let us watch and be sober. That's what all of you are doing. For they that sleep, sleep in the night. And they that are drunken, are drunken in the night. But let us, since we are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for the helmet, the hope of salvation. So, let's recap what he has just said. This day will not overtake you. You should be aware that you're getting close to this time. Jesus said you won't know the day or the hour, but Paul is saying you will know the times and seasons. And because you will know the times and seasons, you you should know that we're getting close as you watch the convergence of things. Okay, and then he calls it the hope of salvation. That hope is, again, it's eschatological. It's not soteriological. It's eschatological. And what he's meaning by that is the hope of salvation is the redemption of our bodies. Okay? In this passage. That's eschatological for us. That is our future, is to be glorified, right? It's not talking about current salvation, current sanctification. It's the hope we have. And that hope is the blessed hope because what happens at the rapture? Not only are we going to heaven, but what happens to our bodies? It's changed. So the, the, when you see that word, the hope of salvation, which means eschatological hope of the individual believer, it means that we will be freed of the sin nature and glorified in the eschaton as we're raptured. That's why the rapture and the glorified body are two events that are connected. So that's what he's talking about. And notice the last phrase, for God appointed us not unto wrath, but unto the obtaining of salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. That obtaining of salvation is eschatological. It's the the final glorification of the believer. You already received salvation right now, but you have not been glorified. That's what he's referring to. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Okay, so notice that key phrase, we have not been appointed to wrath. That is a key phrase because we're appointed to have a glorified body. And if that's the case, we cannot enter a time that comes upon the earth that is evidence of God's wrath. The body of Christ has been promised freedom from wrath. Therefore, whenever the tribulation starts, we cannot be here. 
So I haven't even talked about the rapture. I'm just talking about where we can be and where we can't be. So my argument for the rapture has nothing to do with 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It has to do with wrath. Where is this wrath occurring? On the face of the planet. Therefore, I cannot be on the face of the planet. I must be somewhere else. I at least have to be on the moon. You at least have to give me that, right? There's no wrath happening on the moon. Well, maybe there is, but maybe I at least got to be on Mars, so to speak. And you know where I'm going with it. I have to be off the planet. Well, the only event that can get me off the planet is the rapture. Because people make the argument, well, there, it doesn't say in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 about any of that. No, 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 I know, but that, because I am bridging texts together about where this wrath is. And then they'll come back and say to you, well, the wrath of, of God really doesn't start until the midpoint of the tribulation. And I want to say, you haven't read the book of Revelation. I'm sorry. You just haven't read it. Because by chapter 6, when the seals are being broken, do you know what the inhabitants say of the earth dwellers? What they say, very simple. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? That's in the first part of the tribulation. Then after that, you have the trumpet judgments that start occurring before the midpoint of the tribulation. So you cannot even be here at the midpoint for a mid-tribulational rapture because the trumpet judgments have already been started. So if they want to make the argument with the trumpets, then it doesn't work because the trumpets have already started. So what I'm saying is, when does the wrath come? The signing of the peace treaty with Antichrist to start the tribulation. We are not here for because we're not appointed unto wrath. Okay, let's go to the next page. Number five. Another key verse we're dealing with is Revelation 3.10, and I'm going to spend a little bit of time on that. Uh, Revelation 3, I used to have a lot of arguments with mid-trib guys about this. And I'll explain to you as best I can about Revelation 3. I think it's pretty self-explanatory, but we have to get into some issues here. This is the promise to the Philadelphia church. It's called the Philadelphian promise. Okay, It's the remnant promise. The Philadelphia church represents the remnant of the church that gets it. Okay, And because we're dealing with that, there's a great promise that they're going to miss this hour of wrath. He says this, because you did keep the word of my patience. Basically, you obeyed my word in the present church age. You were faithful, basically, in keeping my word. They're believers, okay? This is the true remnant church. I also will keep you from the hour of trial. And and again, we're looking at terio ek, uh, keep you out. And notice what's from. From trials? Does it say, I'll keep you out of trials? I will keep you from what? The hour. The time. Now, I know guys like Gary DeMar and R.C. Sproul and all those types of guys want to uh, uh, interpret Terio Eck is that uh, of not being taken out of outside of it, but being protected within it. And that in some other contexts, that works. But in this context... All the linguists that I've studied says, no, this is what he is telling them. He's keeping them not through the time. He's keeping them out of the time, outside of the time. If he wanted to explain that the church is going to go through the tribulation, then John obviously could have used the the Greek words N-E-N or para. I'll keep you through it or in it. But he didn't. He he didn't. He used the word ek, E-K, out of. And... I'll explain that in just a second, but let's continue on. 
of trial. Now, it's, it's talking, it doesn't say word wrath, but the trial, basically, um, that's going to come upon the earth. He goes, that hour which is to come upon the what? The whole world. To what? To try them. And who are the them that dwell on the earth? The earth dwellers. The idea of trying them is to test them, to expose the true character of the earth dwellers, is what he is talking about. So he's contrasting in this passage the Philadelphian promise with the church being contrasted with the earth dwellers. I'm going to take my church out of that time so that I can test the earth dwellers is, is what's happening here. So that's the contrast I wanted to, want to talk about. As far as linguists are concerned, uh, Liddell and Scott, a lot of these linguists that have, have looked at this have pointed out that this word ek, that terial ek, out of, it's not only used in classical Greek literature, like in the Iliad, it is used in the Old Testament, it's used by Josephus, and it's obviously used in the New Testament, even by our Lord in John 17. And in all of those contexts, it is proper to use ek of being taken out and removed outside of that. And, and so I know a lot of times I want to argue about that. Well, the Greek doesn't mean that because the Greek can mean going through it. The problem is the context of contrast, and most linguists will say, no, he is talking about being removed from the time period. Not from trials, but from the entire time period. And so it, the idea that the Greek is trying to say, like uh, some of these linguists will say, it's a preservation outside, or our position outside of the time, not on the earth, standing before Christ. Totally removed from this whole period of time. And again, if, if a, a mid-trib or a post-trib person says, well, the church is going to go through the tribulation, and, and Jesus never, never promised we'd be without trials, the context of Revelation is wrath. And we just read, you're not appointed unto wrath. So if I have a meteorite hitting me or blood, the water turning to blood, that means wrath is coming upon me. And I, the church has not been appointed to that. When people come to the faith in Christ during the tribulation, they're not part of the church, obviously. Only the church has been promised to, to, to be absolved from wrath. So they will experience the wrath. The tribulation saints, many of them will die because just as a secondary cause of the wrath, so if you're a, a saint and you become saved, you're either going to be martyred or you're going to die somehow of not getting food. Or if when the waters all turn to blood, you won't be able to drink, you'll probably die. The only ones that really promise to go through the tribulation alive is the remnant of Israel and the 144,000 who are sealed. Yeah, there are Gentile tribulation saints that make it, but most are martyred and killed. And so they're not promised that. And because they're not promised, that's why you, this, the 144,000 has to be sealed to prevent their deaths going through the tribulation. But even look at the two witnesses. They die. And they're, they're prophets of God. And they die. So that, that you see clearly there's a different epoch of time happening where, yeah, there's wrath being poured out big time and massive, massive persecution happening at that time. So thank God that you're in the church. I mean, really, this brings to light how blessed of a position you are in to be in the body of Christ. It's huge. 
It's huge not to have to go through that. So, anyway, that's, a, that's that. Let me um, bring on a few things. You notice that, that contrast with the earth dwellers. I want to give you the references about the earth dwellers. If you want to study this on your own, you'll find this very, very interesting. So write this off to the side. I'll give you the references for them. There's Eleven times in the book of Revelation they are mentioned. This is the, um, the earth dwellers. Revelation 3.10. Revelation 6.10, Revelation 8.13, Revelation 11.10, two times in that passage, Revelation 13.8, Revelation 13.12, Revelation 13.14, two times in that passage, Revelation 14.6, Revelation 17.8. Now, what you'll find out when you do a study on these is these are stubborn, stubborn sinners who refuse to repent, are in full rebellion, and always continue to shake their fist to God. This phrase is only used, by the way, of the tribulation period. And what you'll find is their names are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life because they refuse to repent and get saved. Now, remember, what is the purpose of the tribulation? To test the earth dwellers. What does it mean to test? To show everyone their true character. And so the tribulation not only is the judgment of the Gentiles, it is also to show the whole angelic realm, the demonic realm, and all peoples uh, of all times, the true nature of these people. The earth dwellers. Okay. Any questions on that? Okay, one more passage. And you don't have this on your notes. The other passage I want you to mark down is in the Olivet Discourse, it's Revelation, uh, sorry, not Revelation, um, in the Olivet Discourse, Luke 21, 28. Luke 21, 28, and you can... It's not in your notes, but Fruchtenbaum will make the point in the Olivet Discourse. If you have a supplemental with the Olivet Discourse from Fruchtenbaum, it'll be in the the supplemental. But suffice it to say, I'll explain it about the timing of it, of why it it is is imminent and has been imminent for some time. When you marry Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21, what you have to do is put all passages together to get a full perspective of the Olivet Discourse. The Olivet Discourse is a synopsis not only of the tribulation period, but is a synopsis of the destruction of the temple and the persecution of the disciples. So it encompasses all of this. And so when you marry all three together, you get a complete package. So you just don't want to read Matthew 24 isolated from Luke 21 and Mark 13. You have to put them together. Okay. When you put them together... Jesus gives a warning about the rapture. He gives a warning. You know, I know you've heard this phrase before, but here's the warning in verse 28. Now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. I know you've heard that phrase, right? Okay. We have to understand what are these things he's talking about. 
Well, it could be all of the, uh, the all of the discourse, but that's not the, the the primary antecedent in the text in Luke. The primary antecedent refers back to verses twenty through twenty-four. The antecedent is verses twenty through twenty-four. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of, the, of her depart, and let uh, not those who are in the country enter her. For these are the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. For there shall be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. What is that a reference to? 70 AD. When you see all these things, look up, your redemption draws near. In effect, in the Olivet Discourse, he gives a clue of when to start looking for the rapture. And he gave the clue in Luke 21, and says, when you see the destruction of the temple and me scattering the Jewish people into all the nations, which is exactly what happened, then you need to start looking for the rapture. See, that, he goes, that generation had the unpardonable sin put on them because they were rejected Messiah, so the nation of Israel is going to be cursed because of that rejection. And that curse came in 70 AD. That wrath came. So he says, once that wrath's come, it's imminent. So at least what we can say now is since 70 A.D., the rapture has been imminent till this day. There's nothing that needed to wait. Nothing. You, you might have been taught incorrectly that the rapture starts the tribulation. It is not. The rapture could happen 30 years before the tribulation, 20 years before the tribulation, 10 years before the, the, the tribulation, or it could start the day before the signing of the peace covenant with the, the Antichrist. So what we're saying is the rapture has no signs or anything attached to it that we need to wait for. It could happen at any point in time since 70 AD. Clear as mud? Yes. Yeah, it, obviously, I mean, um, there's, a, there's a lot there about uh, age accountability, but um, babies, children who haven't reached that age would obviously mentally handicapped that don't know their right and their left would obviously be taken. So that's one of the things they're going to have to figure out is why we understand why the knucklehead right-wing Bible thumpers were taken, but we just don't understand why the babies were taken and the children from different religions. Because a child even growing up in Islam that hasn't reached the point of accountability would be taken as well. Same thing with a Buddhist or a Hindu or you know someone in an African tribe or an Amazon rainforest. If they hadn't reached the age of accountability, they would be taken as a child. Um, we see that all over, that God does that. On, on the age of accountability, yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not explicitly taught, but you take it from deductions of different passages. For instance, when David's child dies, he goes, he cannot come to me, but I will go to him. So when his child dies, he assumes his child's with the Lord, that David will one day go to him, to where he's at. The other thing that you see is we are not condemned 
for possessing a sin nature. We're condemned for personal sin. That's very clear in Romans 5 and 6, if you want to look at that. That, yes, Adam's sin is imputed to us, and it gives us a proclivity towards sin. But what we're held accountable for is personal sin that we do, that we actively know to do. So based on that, on just the nature of how one sins, is, is, it's based on personal knowing that you're violating a known command and violating, the, you know, and, and go ahead and doing it. Um, if you go back to Israel as another template with Yom Kippur, here's another instance. Yom Kippur would cover the sins of Israel of ignorance. And even right there with the precedent of Yom Kippur, yes, if you knew what you did, you needed to make atonement and, and make, uh, for, ask for forgiveness. But it also covered the sins of ignorance so that God's wrath would not come upon Israel. So they did it every year to cover the sins of ignorance. So even with that, with Yom Kippur, Jesus is the fulfillment of Yom Kippur. And that, in one sense, is that he satisfied the wrath and that would then also cover sins of ignorance, which would be children or mentally handicapped uh, individuals who, who don't have a sense of right and wrong. They, they might be so mentally handicapped, they don't even know the Lord. They don't even know him. They can't know him. A, a baby wouldn't know him. And, and, and so based on those precedents, it, it, it takes personal sin to be condemned, uh, that you knowingly know, know what you do and reject the truth. David's instance of him saying, I'm gonna go to my, uh, I'll go to him, and then Yom Kippur, and there's, there's some other arguments. I, I, there's a great book John MacArthur did, not that I'm advocating Calvinism, but he did a great book on that particular issue. I think it's called Safe in the Arms of God or something like that. Uh, that documents all of that. He did a really good job on explaining that. But based on, on those few things, and, and that God is, is just, I think you can make a very good argument for the age of accountability. What that age is, I don't know. It could be different for each kid. But whatever that is, the Lord knows when to do that, and when, when they become accountable for that. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Anchor Discipleship. We hope that this message is a blessing to you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's Word. Rock Harbor Church has two other podcasts. The first is called The Anchor Sunday Sermons and is filled with pastors' Sunday messages. And the second is The Anchor Bible Study. It's filled with past and continuing Bible studies preached during our Wednesday evening services. If you enjoyed this message and would like to hear them, please check the description of this episode or search your favorite podcast streaming services. Rock Harbor Church also has a print-to-order merchandise store. You can shop for Rock Harbor merch at rockharborchurch.store. Support for all three of our podcasts comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Keep looking up for our redemption draws near. God bless.